When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Helen and this is the Squiggly Careers podcast where each week we record and share an episode with you to help you with the ups and downs of squiggly careers. Whether you've got an interview coming up or a confidence gremlin getting in your way, Sarah and I talk about it and share as many practical ideas for action as we can to support you. And this week is slightly different. It's National Careers Week in the UK. And so Sarah and I thought, what can we do to help people think about their career and perhaps how they could develop in different directions? and take advantage of the opportunities that squiggly careers present and we thought we would go and talk to some different people about their squiggly career and understand how they had developed in different directions so our conversations this week have included my chat with uh, jim mcleod a royal navy rear admiral about how you can squiggle and stay in an organization sarah's conversation with steph douglas all about running your own businesses and how you do that and the challenges that are inevitable as an entrepreneur Sarah talked to Eric Sim as well about his career story of resilience and bravery and lots of pivots in his story as well. And today you're going to hear me talking to Simon Mundy, a BBC journalist, also the presenter on the Life Lessons podcast and a friend of Amazing If, big fan of Simon. And his career story is really all about how you create opportunities. I really liked how Simon talked about, you know, even when you're in a large organisation, sometimes you can feel a bit stuck. You can feel a bit siloed or a bit constrained in your career. And Simon felt like that at one point when he was at the BBC. And so he decided that he was going to really start pushing his progression and creating opportunities for himself that didn't exist until he did them. And I think there's a lot to learn from Simon's approach and to think about how we can create those opportunities for ourselves. I don't know if I could go full on Simon, but I could definitely start a bit Simon having listened to this podcast. There's lots to learn, lots to take away. Would love to know what you might do after listening to this conversation today. Email us. We're just Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com. But here's the conversation with Simon. Simon, welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. Helen, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So we've had several chats over WhatsApp and in person now. And when I started to find out more about you and your career, I was fascinated. It's very squiggly. It's very squiggly, yes, indeed. I think uh, having become familiar with squiggly careers and the squiggle itself, yeah. it really resonated with me. So, yeah, it is and the thing that I really like when we're talking is how many of the squiggly moves that you have made, you have created for yourself. I think some people sort of follow the squiggle, but I feel like you have really created it for yourself. And I wanted to share <laughs> some with the audience. When I heard about it, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Why, 
why did I never do that? I could have had a very different career. I'm very yeah. happy with my career, but I think you've done some really interesting things that people can learn from. So I wonder whether we start early, Simon Squiggle, sure. early. Let's go. Um, and maybe the first time that you think you created an opportunity for yourself in your career that maybe took you down a different route than you'd started out from. Okay. I'm actually going to have to go back to university. Okay. So I just wanted to go to Leeds University. It's the most fun university. That's a fact. It certainly <laughs> was in my day. Various of my friends were going, so I just wanted to go. And I had done one of those careers psychometric tests, yeah. and it said be a journalist, because I would go be so-and-so, right? So I started doing sociology, which I didn't get on with. It was boring. I, I, I wasn't engaged in it at all. And I came back for the second term in my first year, and I didn't even realise we had exams and I didn't realise I had stuff to hand in. And I was like, I remember my mum bought me a book, Sociology for Dummies for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a friend of mine had dropped out the year before and had redone his first year. So it laid a idea in my mind. I thought, oh, maybe I could do that. So I loved French at school. So I was in the library and I was flicking through the prospectus looking for French. Boom, open the page, broadcast journalism. Never even knew it existed. I thought, that sounds wicked tootled off to the broadcast journalism department and met the dean or whatever it is of, of the whole department, sat down, got on really well with her, told her I'd done some work experience at school, a paper, big myself up. She was like, I love it. You're in next year, okay? The irony is I never would have got in had I applied because my predictions were not high enough and it was a very prestigious course. So it was only that I was already in university mm -hmm. and had gone to see her in person. So I always say to people, get in front of people, right? So I then dropped out, went home, did some menial jobs and then came back. And second time around, I was fully engaged. I was really into it. So that was part one. And that has shaped my career. You know, that one thing, first of all, stumbling across broadcast journalism and then going to see that, that teacher. And that takes quite a lot of confidence, though, particularly at that age to... I think make the decision itself, like not to stick mm. out on the thing and just, you know, see it through to the end because maybe your parents had expected you to do that. So you are going against yeah. other people's expectations, which you have to do quite a lot in, in Squidly careers at all stages of your career, but also to have the confidence to have a conversation with somebody that you didn't know. Also, a person who was, it was a dean, right? So mm. in a position of yeah. seniority. Yeah. Where did the confidence... Is this just Simon was quite a cocky person? Yeah, and... I was cocky, yes, but I was also insecure and, and lacking confidence. I think had I not known my friend who had done it, I wouldn't have done it. So I thought, okay, it's possible. Mm -hmm. So I think having that evidence that it was doable was was key. I've always been someone who I think who feels things quite strongly. So I just had this sense that the course I was on was not right and I needed to do something about it. Going to see this teacher doesn't mean I wasn't full of doubt I was, but for whatever reason, I did it anyway. I think it's that old cliche, feel the fear and do it anyway, right? But like that is, that's been a very common theme throughout my life. I wouldn't just, I think outwardly, people have often perceived me as, as confident yeah. at school, arrogant even, but that's always just been a front to the insecure little boy behind. <laughs> we, can, we can get into that one as well. So brave choice number one. So that was brave number one. Okay, yeah. so then we're on broadcast journalism. So I did broadcast journalism, Really enjoyed it. It was only about five hours a week. It actually frustrated me how little we were doing because actually the work was so fun. Got a 2-1, left, 
did some quite cool jobs straight out of uni. I worked for a production company making documentaries for Radio 1. I did crowd warm-up for Robot Wars. Do you remember Robot Wars? Yeah, I do remember where it was. <laughs> you crowd warm-up? Yeah. What does that entail? I was robo-babe. <laughs> Uh, it was meant to be for a woman and she broke her leg, I think, like the day before the series started. <laughs> okay, best job title for Monday ever. Yeah. Okay. What... So I'd like have to do like quizzes, hand out T-shirts, games. So that was fun. Yeah. And then they wanted to enhance my role, but I'd agreed to go travelling with a friend of mine. So I went to the stereotypical route through Asia and then I went to Australia and I lived and worked in Australia for a year and I came back expecting to be really on it yeah. and, and more motivated, more clarity and throwing myself back into it. But for I actually came back... Uh, in a, I was actually going through a bit of a period of anxiety at the time, uncertainty, feeling like I was old. I was thinking I was only about 22, right? But, you know, you get that feeling, I think, in your early 20s of, oh, my God, my friends were, like... Friends were working at Sky and whatever else. And I was, like... Am oh I behind God. already? Exactly, that mm-hmm. thing. And I remember my mum being like, get a job, you need to get a job. When actually, the better, I think, advice, maybe that was still good advice, like, you can't change past. Past is what it is. But I think the advice I would give anyone now in their 20s would be like, that decade is, a, for me, is a chance for experimentation, is to find out what makes you tick. But I was like, I need a job and I need it now. So my big passion in life, for most of my life, and I mean next level stuff, total tennis geek, was tennis, right? And I used to read this tennis magazine called Ace Tennis Magazine. So I rang them. They had a guy who, (laughs) very fortunate, I literally rang and was like, oh, have you got any jobs? And the guy who answered the phone was like, well, funnily enough, I'm leaving in a couple of months. (laughs) And he was doing sales, ad sales. So I went and worked for my this tennis magazine that I'd been reading since I was eight. I've still got copies dating back to 1990 at home. Why are you keeping these copies? They're like keepsakes. When, okay. Agassi, when Sam Press won the US Open in 1990. If you could see that? Simon now, you would see just the love <laughs> in his eyes, everybody. Proper tennis nerd. And so I got this job there and it was for the LTA. So it was at Queen's Club. It was like being back at school. It was loads of young people. There were tennis courts. Andy Murray was training there. Oh, you've never done sales before, right? Never so you're done, calling that? Uh, no, I had done like sales like in Australia. I was okay. selling life insurance. Quite good at it, actually. Okay. So we're going from selling life insurance <laughs> to selling something to do with tennis, which you Ad have a passion for. sales in the magazine. Okay, got it. But it, 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 I can't actually remember selling anything. It was just people just do repeat. It, honestly, it was a complete waste of time from that point of view. I did some writing for the mag as well. And, but really, I enjoyed the lifestyle. Everyone, it was like being back at school. Everyone would be out playing sport at lunchtime, very sportive with tennis tournaments, all this stuff. So, and before I know it, like three years has gone by. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm now like 26. And I'm thinking, oh my Lord, what am I doing? I just, that, again, that inner feeling of this is not right. This, people were saying, oh, you don't appreciate the job you've got. Why don't you go for a sales job in this, that, and the other? And, and something in me is just screaming, no, this is not for me. Just to pause on that point, actually, because I think there's something in what you've described there which is really relevant to how a lot of people are feeling about their work right now, which is where the job that they did or were doing sort of pre-pandemic had a lot of things around it that made it an experience that they enjoyed. So I had my job, but then I had the social life, the people that I work with, the cool office, all this stuff, and it was sort of like the job was part of a package. And then during the pandemic, quite a lot of that package has gone away and you're left with this job mm. and I think a lot of people get you know the point that you got to with what am I doing and what am I doing it for when the rest of those elements have gone away and you're just left with 
the work at the end of the day, yeah. I think it is leading to people to maybe get to that question point that you got to about, is this actually what I want to be doing? Is this what makes work worthwhile for me? 100%. I'm really noticing that. I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of emails and communications from people saying exactly that. I think you've summed that up really well. And at that point, all the extras, the tennis, the socialising, etc., was not able to compensate for the work I was doing. Mm. I was just finding very frustrating but they all knew I was like a proper tennis nerd so I can name every Wimbledon winner and finalist dating back to about 1968 right and they would get me to do interviews so <laughs> if you go on YouTube in 2007 I represented the magazine talking about when women got equal prize money at Wimbledon and I was doing a few interviews like that and for TalkSport and I did one for Radio Wimbledon in 2006 and the editor got in touch was like you were really good and I was like I trained in this what am I why am I not doing radio I should be doing radio I've wasted this time it wasn't a waste actually in hindsight at all actually I'm really glad I did it but I was like I should be doing radio so I ring this contact at TalkSport and I'm like well, what do you suggest and he's like oh well there's this little radio station in near New Malden where I now live funnily enough and it's called Radio Jackie and they quite good at helping people out just starting out. Because obviously I've got this four, four and a half year gap in mm. my CV. So I couldn't expect to go in at a reasonable level. So I rang Radio Jackie and I said, look, if you got any jobs, guess what? Guy answers. <laughs> no <way. laughs> guy answers. And he's like, well, funnily enough, a guy is leaving who does the news and sports show on a Saturday afternoon. Do you want to do it? We can't pay you, but do you want to do it? I was like, absolutely. It's that old thing, commit and then work it out later, right? Yeah, there is a lot of that. There's also a theme coming through <laughs> for me of pick up the phone and be open mm. to and explore. Like mm. each time you're creating opportunities by picking up the phone and then people are sort of coming to you with, well, here's an option and you're quite open to, okay, add sales. Okay, I'll do that job. Like there's an openness in, in this yeah, as well. Yeah, 100%. And at each step, and this is, is a theme that will continue as I tell my story, each step, I still have the thoughts of, I can't do that. that. The I can't do that thought has been very prominent throughout my life. Not particularly with the ad sales, not that I can remember, but certainly when it was like, do you want to do the sport news? I'm thinking, I haven't done this for ages. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to drive a desk. No, voice saying, no, don't do it. But I ignored it and was like, yes, I, I'll do it. So I went and I did this job for a year for free on a Saturday. Wow. I, I used to drive, I lived in Clapham at the time, and I used to drive down, so it'd take me about 45 minutes, an hour to drive. So it was, it was costing me money in petrol. I'd get there at like 11 a.m. and I wouldn't get home till 8 p.m. every Saturday. So for that whole year, my social life took a hit. And what was the motivation to do that? Because that's a big time commitment, a big life mm. commitment. Was it, I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing or I'm learning? Or was it a, this is going to help my career in the long term? What was the thinking? I think... I'd had that conversation with the Radio Wimbledon guy who'd said, you're good. I'd remembered my training. I'd remembered that oh, I like talking. And I thought I'd give it a shot. And then when I did it, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being on air. But I still remember my first broadcast of Radio Jack, actually. I was, there was a football match going on and a goal was scored as I was on air. So I had to sort of commentate live. And a typical baptism of fire often happens on your first day, right? And, and I sort of got through it. And I remember the DJ going, well done, Simon, and sort of, you know, smashing, <laughs> smashing in nicely, you know. Um, and I got through it. And I just really enjoyed it compared to my normal job. Mm. I was like, this is, 
I experience a sense of flow. There, there is a, when I'm in the studio, even before I'm in the studio, I'm not thinking about, God, I can't wait for the weekend or whatever. I'm enjoying this. It gives me a sense of, a feeling of, of being alive, really. So I was enjoying it. So I did that for the whole year. They brought in, funnily enough, a new chief executive around this time at the LTA who came in, typical chief exec, right, I'm coming in to chop and change, uh, optimism, optimism. <laughs> Everyone's going to get made redundant. <laughs> so, I'm not sure all chief execs do that, all. but I can understand that's a stereotype. That yeah. <laughs> the... Just speaking, speaking to the stereotype. And he, he did adhere to that. And I saw an opportunity. So I went for voluntary redundancy, argued for it, got it. By this point, obviously, I've got a year's experience on a Saturday under my belt. Somewhat embellished that, should we say, on my CV, right? And um, I had uh, the, the university degree as well. So I applied for various radio stations, and one in Chelmsford offered me a job. And then about a week before I was due to start, I went, I went to look at houses in Essex, leaving my friends in London. They called me and said, oh, someone's quit an Ipswich, right? So basically you'll get a promotion before you start, because I was a bit older than everyone else. <laughs> And um, so they're like, do you want to move to Ipswich? I was like, yeah. Who likes they hear you're coming and someone decides to leave? <laughs> it might well, certainly the way things transpired, that may well have been the case. So I moved to Ipswich, took a big pay cut. I was only earning like sixteen, seventeen thousand 17,000 pounds, having been earning, you know, I don't know, probably late 20s doing the advertising sales. But as soon as I moved to Ipswich, left all my friends, left my girlfriend at the time who lived in London, I was on my own out there in Ipswich. Never been to Ipswich before, but I had this feeling very quickly of, yes, I've made the right decision. My ladder's up against the right wall, as I often say. I'm enjoying the work. So I was in Ipswich and I only stayed for a year. And at the end of that year, I started getting a bit twitchy. I was like, I wanted to come back to London. <laughs> so a job came up completely by chance, literally at the time that I was uh, ready to leave, presenting sport on Virgin Radio, as it then was, now Absolute Radio. So I sent in a demo and I got it. <laughs> so I have been very lucky in terms of things falling in my lap. So I worked at Virgin Radio slash Absolute Radio for a few years. Do you uh, think you have been lucky? Sorry, because I feel like someone's listening. They'll be like, well, Zan has been lucky. But it does, I feel like you, you were open, you were looking. Yeah. So yes, the, it was there, but you were looking. Yes, I do think that. I think my, my own personal philosophy, and there is no evidence of this, is that if you make moves and try and make things happen for yourself, and I know this is a big thing that you talk about, is taking charge of your own career and creating opportunities and not waiting for them to come to you, then in my experience and in the experience of people around me, if you have that attitude and you act in a powerful rather than a powerless way, often it seems to me the cards will fall in a helpful way. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there's no proof for that, but in my own life, that's definitely been the case. Mm -hmm. All the way through, whenever I've been like, right, I'm going to... Jimmy Chin, free solo director, Meru, The Rescue, we spoke about before, before yeah. we started recording. I spoke to him, he's got a great phrase, commit and figure it out as you go along. And every time I've committed to something, radio and then various incarnations of that going forward, whenever I've committed and tried to figure it out, things have then gone my way. But I think it's that commitment and the attitude and trying to make things happen that then it's almost like life seems to meet me halfway. Yeah, it's a lovely, it's a lovely way of framing it. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So you committed, you've got your demo in, drive time, they've given you the job. (laughs) They gave me the job. And then I was at a red carpet, I was also used to do festivals for them and red carpet events like V Festival I used to do, I used to do the Mercury Awards, stuff like that. And I was was actually the um, Pride of Britain Awards for Daily Mirror and there was someone from Radio 1 there spoke to them and was like, are there any jobs going? Of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> and she said, I'll give you the number of the, the number of and name of the deputy editor. In my mind, I'm thinking Radio One's far too good for me. So the old um, imposter syndrome, right? So I got the number of this, the name of this deputy editor, and I found out, I was like, oh, God. Funnily enough, right, when I had been getting back into radio, I used to listen to LBC, and he'd presented the news. And I used to literally record him because I thought he sounded so good and try and sort of copy his radio news voice. So I got in touch with him and he said, come in and do a spend the day with us. So I went in. They were getting ready to put all their programs out. And I'm sitting there thinking, this looks super intense. This, there's no way I could work here, right? One of the first things he said to me is, we've got no jobs currently and I can't see any coming up in the near future. And part of me was like, thank God, if I'm honest, right? But at the same time, I then laid it on really thick. So I'm like, just so you know, I used to record you and, you know, I loved your voice, da-da-da. I got on really well with this guy. In fact, he and I are now really still really good friends. And this was shortly before Christmas 2010. So I thought, I'll send him a Christmas card. (laughs) So I sent him a Christmas card thinking, just stay on his radar. Must have been January, certainly first couple of weeks, January 2010. He's like, by the way we've got a few shifts that have all of a sudden come up, I think in February or March, because well, obviously it's near the end of the financial year, everyone doesn't take their holiday, so everyone's taking a holiday, so they had a few gaps in the rotor. So he's like, come in, 
do a couple of days for free. We'll see if you're any good. And then we'll, if, if you are, then we might be able to offer you some shifts. Right? So I went in, still remember my first day. My mum does too, because I remember ringing her because I OD'd on coffee. <laughs> I drank too much coffee. I was literally like at the back having heart palpitations, like an anxiety attack at lunch break. And then they got me to record a couple of packages. And, and I remember the guy who was doing the, the political reporter at the time, I asked him for some advice and he gave me this fantastic line explaining, I don't know, like exchange rates or whatever. And I nicked it and I put it in my script, right? The editor at the end came up and I said, that was a brilliant line. Did you credit? <laughs> no, did I? <laughs> He only said it in passing. Okay. I thought that's a really good way of explaining it. And Radio One's all about explaining complex stuff in a way that is digestible and easy to understand for young people. So they gave me, they liked my turn of phrase, or rather, this other guy's turn of phrase that I've nicked. Um, and, and they got me in. And I was also covering the sport guy because they knew I had a bit of background in sport. Now, here's the funny bit, right? The guy who had done sport had been there for the best part of a decade. So what happens to Radio One happened to me too. And his number two had literally been waiting all this time. But around this time, the number two did something, I'm still not sure what, but basically he fell out of favour. Okay. Right? So all of a sudden, 2010, the main sports sport was going off to the World Cup in South Africa. They need someone to cover Wimbledon. <laughs> it's all coming together. It's all coming together. But what's the, the insight there is that you... You picked up the phone again because you spoke to this person. So that's back back to that kind of being brave enough to talk to someone that you don't know about an opportunity that yeah. you're just open to exploring. Mm -hmm. You've put yourself in a position where you knowingly don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. like, like, you know, you talk about that imposter syndrome. Yes, you had it, but also there was a reality that you'd not done that job in that place before, yeah, yeah. but you still were willing to do it. And then you quite strategically managed a relationship. Yes, I think that managing relationship is key. It's how do you stand out? Little things. So obviously, being honest and open about the fact that I used to record his voice. People love having, you know, smoke blown up them, don't they? Let's be honest. But you genuinely did. Like, I did. It wasn't like you were like, yeah. Like, it, was, it, was, it was totally true. You know, I, I really liked the guy and we got on really well. And then I think the Christmas card touch, mm -hmm. I think things like that are, are good. And mm -hmm. I know you advocate stuff like this. It's the little, little touches that will just make that when they need to fill, for example, a rotor... You're in mind. You're in mind. Yeah. Simple as that. So I think that was that was really fundamental. They said there would be no positions, but then there was. So you never know how, how the cards are going to fall. So you've got this dream job now, but it's not the end of the story. So the thing that you were so passionate about, you've got kind of the, the broadcast journalism, the tennis, it's all come together. Well, I was doing news at that point. Okay. And okay. Then, but then the guy who was doing sport left yeah. after the World Cup... I've done Wimbledon. I remember the guy saying, do you know anything about Wimbledon? <laughs> Let I'm me like, tell you about my I'm magazines. Like, Have a seat. <laughs> Pick a year. <laughs> um, and I went to Wimbledon. I'd worked at Radio Wimbledon three previous years, which was the, still the most fun job I've ever done. It was amazing, right? So I just used, I was rehashing a lot of the ideas and the videos I'd done. So I came away. The guy who'd done the World Cup, and they had been a bit underwhelmed with what he'd done. I was making these cool videos because I had all the... I knew Wimbledon inside out. So then, when he left, the guy who had been the number two had been waiting for the best part of eight years. By now, he's out of the way. So suddenly, there's this gap. I'm there. I've just done Wimbledon, which is the best place for me to showcase what I know. They actually... The, the, the then editor 
kind of pressured me. He, he sent me the job application says, I want you to apply for this. Exclamation, exclamation. So I'm like, I've got to apply for this. Um, so I did. And then, yeah, got the job in sort of just after the summer of 2010. And there I was, Sports Sport Radio 1. Thought I'd absolutely made it. Yeah. You know, thought I'd hit the big time. And that was it. I was wrong. So on, because I think that is interesting as well, the both I was wrong, but also that I thought I'd made it because there is a point where like ego could creep in at that point and be like, sure. I'm now doing this super cool job and I'm I'm successful and I've got what I want. And I think that can also be a point at which in your career that can sometimes stop you being squiggly because you're like, well, I can I've only got to do bigger and better from this point. I am now successful, inverted yeah. commas, and yeah, therefore yeah. The only things I, that I would look at or considered would be like literally a step up back to the ladder language, a step up from this mm. rather than... Which kept me... Across. Do you know what? That's absolutely right. And it, that became a big issue a few years later because I anticipated being there for the London Olympics 2012, which was incredible. And then I thought I'd leave. So I was thinking two and a half years, but it actually took me the best part of eight, nine years to, to extricate myself. And, and it, it's exactly what you say. I, like, where would I go? I mean, at one point I considered PR. I was doing screen tests for Sky Sports News. <laughs> but again, like my intuition was like, this isn't right for me. I'm not a big football fan. Mm. I would be doing it for ego. Mm. I'd be doing it because, oh, I get to wear a jazzy tie on TV, get paid a decent wage. But it was never right. So I never followed through on that. It's the same. Like I never worked for Football Focus because I, I was like, it's not me. You know that it's not me because obviously we talk to people about their values and we have exercises like with more about me where we encourage people to do that self-reflection and to write that down. Was this like a thing that you had sat down with yourself, with no. Simon and written down some thoughts about what makes me me and what matters? Or is this literally just a gut feel and yeah, intuition guiding Gut feel because actually I tried to go against it. I used to go to... I, so the good thing about... Well, listen, the Radio 1 job was amazing. I got to do some incredible things. World Cups, Olympics, etc., etc. But the thing I did most was cover football. So I used to go to Wembley and I'd cover England matches, press room, getting cakes, the food, which was, honestly, it's like being, again, school pecking order. It's ridiculous, but fun. But I'd be there feeling like a complete fraud because I was, because actually of all my friends, I was the one who cared the least about football. And I would sit there and I would be like, right, I'm going to commentate on this match. I'm going to practice my commentary because at some point I might need to be a football commentator. And I'd try and do it. And after about 15 minutes, I'd get bored, so I'd put YouTube on. And I'd be one of those people at Wembley at an England game, like watching tennis on YouTube. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But but you were practising commentating yeah. at a game that you weren't going to commentate at. Yes, yeah, so I was practising To develop a skill that you didn't know that you would need yet. Yes. That's interesting. It is. It, it, it is interesting. And I felt really bad. You know, I felt bad that I couldn't do it for the whole 90 minutes. I thought, oh, I'm rubbish at this. But of course I'm rubbish at it because I had no interest in it. My mind was telling me I should do this, just as like it, my mind was saying I should go do to the Sky Sports screen test. But actually my feelings mm. were this isn't right. And ultimately my feelings proved to be right. And this is why I always talk about intuition. So my hunch is that your intuition knows more than your mind. And in my case, that's definitely proved to be the case. So I could have chased the Sky Sports thing. I could have chased the football focus thing. But for whatever reason, I didn't. And in hindsight, it makes total sense why I didn't, because I didn't want to do it, mm -hmm. even though I thought I should do it. So fast forward, in about 2016, I met my now wife. And for whatever reason, I had a few epiphanies. I mean, there were reasons, but I won't go into them now. But I had a few epiphanies where I was like, okay, I'm going to stop waiting 
and I'm just going to... I actually describe it as a burn-the-boats attitude where... And what I mean by burn-the-boats is it's that thing where I think there were some explorers who went to an island and they were like, right, we've got to make a success of this and we're going to make a success of this by burning the boats so we can't get off the island, yeah. right? So I had a bit of an attitude like that where I was like, okay, I'm either going to create something or I'm going to PI, double S people off so much that yeah. I'm going to have to leave, yeah. right? It's, it's One way or the other. Something or bust, right? Yeah. That's it. That was my attitude. A quote I quite like is, Middle managers can't say yes, but they can say no. So I thought, right, I'm not going to apply for any jobs. I'm not going to go through middle managers. I'm going straight to the top, right? I'm going straight to the top people. So I identified, I went straight to the head of TV sports, talk about getting on TV at Wimbledon, because I was already covering it for Radio 1. I was doing some digital stuff. And I went to the head of the Today programme to speak about doing some stuff there. Do you think you had to have, whatever that revelation was, mm. do you think you had to have that point in time in order to have your kind of burn the boat strategy? Like, could it have come sooner? I, if the truth is, I had actually probably was working through some personal stuff before that that I needed to go through to get to that point, mm-hmm. I think, actually. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people talk about work-life balance. For me, it's just life. Mm. And so they were all part of the puzzle, actually. I think probably meeting my wife was another one. Mm. And then... <laughs> let's say, approaching it and just feeling like I was getting older as well, being Mm -hmm. like, oh, my Lord, I need to start doing something. I can't just sit here and wait and expect. But I guess the the thing that I take away from that is when you're looking at your job, there is the job itself and how, how rewarding it is and or not for you. But sometimes it sounds to me like there was a bit of time at Radio 1 where that role that you were doing created space for you to reflect on some other things. Oh, yeah. And so you kind of have to look at the job in the context of your life and yeah, what it yeah, might yeah. be enabling outside of just the absolutely. job you're doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that, that's what I mean. It's like, it's all it's all one thing. Mm. And so that's why I think if you can find a job that you love doing or that gives you f- feelings of flow or whatever, then you're not looking forward to retirement because it's part of what you enjoy. What yeah, in. yeah, it's what you want to enjoy. And And my thought was... Because since the age of 10, it's always been about Wimbledon and tennis. My thought was, it's all about TV at Wimbledon. That, that's it yeah, for me, yeah. right? And then from there, I can go off and do TV in different, different areas. So let's say between probably early 2017 and then Wimbledon 2018, so the best part of 18 months, just shy of, I got in touch with the head of TV sport and I would be emailing and getting in touch, saying, can we have meetings so often? And every time I wrote an email... The voice in my head would be going, he isn't, he's going to tell you to do one. He doesn't want to. Because you've got the burn the boats. Because I think a lot of people will be thinking, oh, I'd be worried about being irritating. I was worried about about being irritating. Your burn the boats strategy meant, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, I was like, I was like, was you know like yeah what have i got to lose i'm in a role i don't want to be in anymore exactly it's more important that i make something happen than i irritate someone Mm -hmm. i'm willing to irritate someone to try and make something happen Mm -hmm. so it's just it was really a question of priority and my dad's got a lovely phrase which is it's the squeaky wheel that gets fixed i'm sure you've heard it before and it's like you've got to make noise so i'd be like i shouldn't admit this but i would be like oh, I've got this brilliant idea, can we have a meeting? He'd be like, sure, yes, my secretary can help us arrange time. And then I'd be like, right, Alex, my wife, can you help me come up with an idea? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least she gets credited this time, oh, not like the person listen, whose line you took. She, she, has, she has been fundamental, like, for sure. I think, like, we, we, we've, you know, we, we've got each other's back, I think, in this sense. And, 
you know, very, I think having a support network, I know you mm. talk about this a lot, is, is really important. So having someone who believes in you and encourages you and can see things more objectively than you, because we all are great at giving other people advice, but when it comes to ourselves, that, that inner critic, the voice can get in the way. And it's it's about stepping out of that. So yeah, she, she was uh, important. So I just harassed him and his number two for the best part of a year, whilst at the same time, doing similar with the Today programme. I remember I sat down with, a, a quick story, with the editor of the Today programme and I got on really well with her and I just thought, do you know what, I'm just going to be honest. And I just started slating the fact that football takes up so much coverage in, in broadcasting and, and I was talking about tribalism and how the tribalism of football reflects tribalism in so many other areas and how sport is either, when it comes to broadcasting, a language you either speak or you don't and actually we could be doing it in a way to make it more appealing to people who are only somewhat interested. And she was like, I love it. I love it. Anyway, just before Wimbledon 2018, I still don't know if I'm going to be working at Wimbledon on TV. Mm -hmm. And but I'm, I'm actually in Liverpool, I think, uh, doing a story for Ready One. My phone rings and it's the head of the Today programme. And she's like, Simon, I want to create a role for you. The reason being the BBC at the time were like, right, we've got to focus on youth and I was considered the youth <laughs> for the Today programme, right? So she, she's like, I want to create a, a job for you. I was like, cool, sounds good. Went back to the office a couple of days later. There's a guy at my work who's a bit of a conciliary, right? Bit of a someone who I like to... Uh, I spoke to him, he's like, do you, know, so, so you, should, you should do a podcast. I'm like, of course I should do a podcast. So I went and had this meeting with the head of this Today programme and said instead of what she had in mind, which was me going out and doing packages and reporting from live, I was like, give me a podcast. She obviously thought, podcast, youth, done. You can have it. Don't tell me the school was born. Credit for the name. By the way, it's changed anyway. It's now Life Lessons from Sport and Beyond. But the name, the reason it was called Don't Tell Me the School was to differentiate it from the rest of the coverage on Radio 4, yeah. which is all school tactics, all that stuff. My wife came up with it. So, yeah, I, I got this podcast just before they agreed it, just before Wimbledon 2018. And again, on, on that, I think the thing that I'm taking away is that you, well, two things, that you pursued possibilities in parallel. So you were doing that thing where you were like, well, let's see what it could be like at BBC by contacting those people and then also contacting the, at the Today programme. So there was like multiple things that you were exploring, yeah. whereas I don't think a lot of people do that. Yeah. I think that is something to take away when people are thinking about creating possibilities. But also that the role that someone offered you was not the role that you accepted. Having the confidence to sort of iterate yes. that role even yeah. when you went in it it's, it's, it's yeah yeah I, I think like I said at this point I'd let go of the idea of what I should be doing yes and embrace the idea of what do I want to do yeah I'd gone through a few things at the BBC actually where I was like okay you are the you've got to care about your own career because actually big organizations sometimes can't in the way you want them to and I think people need to realize that because yeah. corporations by their very nature particularly once they get over a certain size can't look after you in the, or care about you personally in the way we all want to be cared for yeah so yes she she offered me this we agreed this podcast and I remember my wife saying I think this podcast is going to be really important for you but I'm like no 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 it's all about Wimbledon okay so Wimbledon 2018 starts I still don't know if I'm going to be doing TV so I thought I know what burn the boats so I went and bought two ice creams, <laughs> went up to the TV production office, walked in with these two ice creams, Cornettos they were. <laughs> I think one was strawberry, one was chocolate. And I gave them to the number one and the number two. And I said, yeah, I just, just I seeing if you... bought you an ice cream. I just bought you an ice cream. And one of them said, all right, in you go, into the production, off, into the where they were planning. 
and and I got my break and a, a chance to do some some filming. And I was still working at Radio One, so I was having a and the Today program, so I was having to fit it around my radio work. But they gave me an opportunity to record a few things, and I obviously impressed them enough that they invited me back for 2019. But the interesting thing was then after Wimbledon 2018, then the, the podcast started, and very quickly it became clear that this was going to be more important. <laughs> and then uh, I won't explain how this happened, but I got approached about doing a book based on the podcast because someone really liked it. And then the podcast has sort of iterated as well, I would say, into becoming much more about life. Because my idea initially was just about the tribalism of football and what that can tell us about, for example, the tribalism of Brexit or the tribalism of politics in America or, you know, COVID now. And then it's just grown and I've covered all these things. And and the funny thing is now I would say it's my career is increasingly going in the, the way of the podcast. So I suppose the takeaway for me is it was that burn the boats attitude that kind of create something for myself. And in my mind had this idea it was all about Wimbledon, but actually it's been more about the podcast and where that's leading me, which is in a very different tangent now. And, and you know, sports broadcasting and TV, for example, that's not where my career is going. And it's just interesting that what my mind had, that sort of the plan that my mind had is not where I'm headed. And I'm grateful for that because the direction I'm going in is really interests me and feels much more right for where I'm at. But I still get that thrill of doing Wimbledon that satisfies my inner child, if that makes sense. If there was one piece of advice you'd give to that person listening now who's thinking, I'd like to try and be a bit more Simon-like in how I'm looking after my career. I would say two things. First of all, I would say, tune into your intuition. I remember feeling really bad for a long time that I didn't have a five-year plan. Now, I wouldn't. I'm grateful I don't, didn't have a five-year plan. Also, I don't regret the sales at all because it actually made me grateful for the BBC work, whereas a lot of people who went straight into the BBC, almost be, because, I don't want to use the word institutionalised, but don't realise what, what else is out there. So I'm grateful for that. I've got no regrets about the sales career at all. So I would say follow your intuition. Uh, you know, that if you have a feeling that something isn't right, then... In my experience, that tends to be true. And so for me, experientially, my intuition throughout my working life has proved itself to be right over, for example, my mind, my thoughts about what I should be doing. So that'd be number one. Then the other thing I would say is get in front of people, speak to people. When I was doing my podcast, the controller was on the one floor above me at the BBC. I never sent her an email. I would just rock up at her desk like you wouldn't believe. Like, And we became like good friends. I'm still, I'm very grateful to her. She's a lovely woman. And that relationship was fundamental. So I, I created this very close relationship by dent of the fact that I would just rock up at her desk and mm. just chat. I became really in with their team. So I think that creating relationships, speaking to people, getting in front of people, going above and beyond authentically, not like to get something. Because I think if, you, if you're going to get something out of someone or trying to get something... People feel it, mm. you know, yeah. So go there authentically. I think just being interested in people. I just try and talk to people like I would talk to a friend. Mm. Like, why why treat people differently? Mm. It's this idea of whether it's a celebrity, someone working behind the bar, working in a restaurant. You know, we people change their persona according to, no, just treat everyone the same and just speak to them like you would your friend. And I, I, for me that kind of relationship developing and getting on, getting on the phone, like I do everything on the phone now when previously it was in, in person, I think that would be the thing. So, yeah, intuition and, and, and creating relationships. 
Amazing. And asking for what you want. Yeah, squeaky wheel. Squeaky, squeaky wheel. wheel. Be a squeaky wheel. If we're gonna... I like leaving it with your dad's advice. It feels like, the, you know, passing Good that wisdom, dad. passing that wisdom on. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe he'll listen to this podcast. Thank you so much for sharing Pleasure. your insights and your story with us. I just find it really fascinating. It's, it's a really interesting insight into a world of work that I haven't experienced, but I think the way that you've created the opportunities for yourself is really fascinating and lots to learn from. So thank you. Do you know what, can I, one very last final thing. I left the BBC full time and it was in the middle of the pandemic and it didn't seem like the safe option. And so people were like, oh, the safe option would have been to go back to Radio 1. I left, a couple of months after I left, everyone at Radio 1 was told they'd have to move to Birmingham. Safety within an organisation, in my opinion, is an illusion. Mm. So I think being brave, taking risks, commit and work it out as you go is really good advice as well. So thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. And if you've been inspired about how you could create some opportunities to develop in different directions and need some support with your skills, then the Government Skills for Life website is a great place to get started. The link to it is gov.uk forward slash skills for life. We will put that link in the show notes too. And you can always email us to find it as well. We're just Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com. But there are so many free courses and resources there to support your learning, whether you want to know a bit more about coding or presenting or green skills it's all there and they are all run by experts in the areas and most of them can be done remotely and they are free so go and have a look if you would like to learn a bit more but thank you very much for listening today sarah and i'll be back together next week talking about another topic to support you with your squiggly career thank you everyone bye for now Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 